Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. You are listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and this week we're reviewing Spiral from the Book of Saw and I Blame Society, including all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And first up, we're going to dive into Spiral from the Book of Saw, Lee. Mm, we are. This is the ninth film in the franchise. Well, technically. Spiral from the Book of Saw marks a new chapter in the genre-redefining Saw franchise. Executive producer Chris Rock puts a fresh spin on the horror and also stars as Zeke, an ostracized detective living in the shadow of his police veteran father. As Zeke investigates a series of gruesome murders with echoes of the Jigsaw Killer, he and his rookie partner find themselves in the middle of a twisted, deadly game. The film is directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, who directed previous Saw franchise entrants number two, number three and number four, with a screenplay by Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, who both wrote the film Jigsaw, which is part of the franchise as well. Now, we mentioned the movie stars Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, Max Minghella, and Marisol Nichols. Now, Lee, you mentioned in the opening that Chris mm. Rock puts a fresh spin on the horror. In talking about the story and its connection to the franchise, do you agree with that statement? Definitely. I mean, this takes the franchise in a completely different direction, whether that's a good or bad thing we will discuss in this review. Mm-hmm. But Chris Rock has said this isn't the next Saw film. It's starting the franchise over and taking it on a new path. Right. 
Mm. Well, I guess in its opening, it certainly lived up to the reputation as part mm. of the franchise with that gruesome opening scene and several violent traps throughout. I mm. completely disagree or don't see how this puts any sort of fresh spin on the franchise at all. Really? No, not at all. I mean, I found the story was like incomprehensible, you know, right. with an underlying subplot about Chris Rock dobbing in a dirty cop 12 years prior when he was mm. a rookie while highlighting the ongoing corrupt system within his unit. Like there was nothing really particularly fresh or new mm. uh, from a story mechanic point of view, let alone putting yeah. a fresh spin on the franchise. I think you're right. I mean, it's a good sign that Oren Cools and Mark Berg, who produced all the other Saw films, are also on board to make sure that the gore and the trappings were just right. So they were brought from the franchise pretty well, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I guess like big tick in terms of if you are a fan of gore porn in the <laughs> horror franchise, then you yeah. are going to lap this movie up. I don't know, like we watched this movie together in the cinema and – Neither of us could really look at the screen during those moments, could we? No. But that's what people love, I think, about it. I mean, it's not for me. I'm not a fan of the series. It makes me squirm. But let's take a look at the facts and figures for a second. It is one of the highest grossing film franchises of all time behind things like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Um, the original took almost $104 million at the box office in total up till now. Mm. And there's been mixed critic reviews about it, but from a fan's point of view, it's generally well received, isn't it? It's one of those franchises that throughout its life and what you said were up to the ninth instalment within this, yeah. which is crazy, it certainly delivered for the fans. It kept churning out a formulaic horror film where it was like mm. gruesome traps who's the killer and then like a reveal mm. and some sort of like underlying motivation that you either picked at the beginning throughout or would completely surprise. Mm. And I think especially for me, you know, I would say that growing up as a teenager in early teens when this franchise first kicked off, I really, really, really liked Saw and Saw 2. Mm. I think they are still and arguably the only good installments in this franchise. They were clever. They yeah. were intriguing. They were violent, but nothing like the franchises turned out to be. And they were incredibly yeah. intelligent. And I just think it yeah, it's just fallen to the wayside for me now continuously, even with this new spin on the franchise. Well, they were groundbreaking at the time. I completely agree with you there. Mm, absolutely groundbreaking. One thing that did bother me about the story, since we're talking about that, is how it was structured in heavy flashbacks and a lot of exposition. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what you mean by not clever, huh? Yeah, not clever at all. The, the flashbacks were awful. They were chopping and changing. And, and yeah. to me, it kind of felt it was comical. And Chris Rock with a cat backwards and a goatee, was that the only way to convince us as an audience that this happened 12 years ago? It was just so jarring and ridiculous. Every time they kept going down mm. this n narrative mechanic of flashing back to showing what happened 12 years ago and how yeah. that might relate to the story in the present day. And it was a very thin thread, wasn't it? Very, very thin Connecting thread. it to the other films, I mean. Yeah. It was cut together very haphazardly. I'll agree with you there. But I wonder if it was meant to be like that because it's like a puzzle. You know, you get all the pieces they're all mixed up. You've got to put them together. I think that was intentional, but I don't think it was particularly effective either. Okay. Well, if they, if the writers were there to intentionally write what a puzzle may look like in the form of cinema and help you piece it together, 
then I think they absolutely failed. It was like a puzzle with multiple missing pieces. Mm. I mean, the film was just horrendously written. You had It was full of exhausting personalities, cops swinging their big dicks around with big egos in a toxic <laughs> workplace. A bit cliched, huh? Yeah, and I mean, were we meant to believe that all these relationships have been going on at that high-octane tension for more than a decade? I just find that exhausting to even think about, let alone believe. Mm. You know, and the writing the characters in that way isn't clever or interesting or challenging. It's just lazy, cliched and distracting. Did you find that with, with all the cops and how they behaved all the time? Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I hadn't thought about that point that this had been going on for a decade. And, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's It was this high level that, yeah, it didn't build up to anything. High level of intensity that obviously we're there in this moment in time that, you know, happens over a couple of days, but we're meant to believe this has been going yeah. on in terms of the relationships in the office for 12 years. But when you talk about that as a tool for making this film, I think that was the problem with how it's come together. It was throwing a lot of shit in your face very loudly, very jarringly, and that you know, jump scares don't work if you don't build the tension beforehand. You don't build the characters and do the groundwork. There's an art to doing yeah. it. And if you don't, then they just become loud jump cuts shoved in your face and it's disorientating. It's not scary. Exactly. And then when you come to the third act with the big reveal as who the jigsaw copycat killer is, right, which is a huge for- piece of formula mm. for this franchise, who is the killer and why are they doing it? It's this massive pull for fan people out there. The why was a big problem for me. It was so thin, so thin in the connection to this franchise. Yeah. Like the motivation, the execution was unbelievable, unclever. You could say it was outrageous. It just didn't make sense. Mm. Can we talk about Chris Rock? Yeah. I went into this film, didn't I, thinking that I was not going to be impressed with his performance. Like he was just going to be Chris Rock through the whole film. I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, my God. Are you joking? Look, no, okay, look, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Because I went in with such bad perceptions, I mean, he's not terrible generally, but he's very one note in terms of Mm -hmm. his acting. And I was surprised that he could change gears and he did change gears. Whether he did it well is another story. I mean, the constant confused face started to bother me after a while. (laughs) Yes, he did look quite confused. Look, my take on on his involvement in this film, he, he was mm. just instantly annoying for me. And sure, I've got a wall up because I'm not a fan of Chris Rock. I put my hand up. I just don't. Mm. I just don't like him. I watched an interview where he was asked why he wanted to do this, mm. and it was because he thinks he is funnier in more dramatic environments. So it was basically an ego-driven exercise for him to seem funnier to you as an audience, which I think he failed at spectacularly. Mm. The, the fact that he's going in there to just be like, I think I'm funnier in serious roles, so I'm going to do a Saw movie. And just like he just messed with the tone far too much. His acting was appalling. And I don't think he juggled serious and comedy uh, well enough in here. And it just left me very confused as to why, right. one, he was in this movie and two, what the fuck was going on. <laughs> Can we talk about bugbears for a second? I know you mention a lot about spatial awareness. Mm-hmm. One of my bugbears is urgency in films, okay? And this film had all those moments where there's just no urgency looking for a victim, but then suddenly when you get to a locked door, we have to get inside quickly. It's like you walked, you strolled down the hall. 
to get there. I know. I know the, the particular moment you're talking yeah. about. Move it. God damn it. Yeah. It was kind of like, yeah, he, he had enough time to look down the barrel of the camera to be like, ooh. But then, you know, yeah, brisk walking downstairs. Oh, I think they're about to die. Ooh, I'm pretty convinced that they're a goner. Oh, I know it's them. And then yeah. he's like, open the fucking door. It's like, where were you like five minutes ago? You were just like making a cup of coffee or something, just chilling. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's very oh, annoying. I hate that. I hate that. Also, do you find in terms of talking about bugbears that there was again, mm. similar to Mortal Kombat, where the F-bomb was dropped a lot, a lot, a lot. Do you think there was also too much swearing in this movie as well? Uh, if there was, it didn't jump out at me. Did mm. for you? I mean, I just felt like Samuel L. Jackson was there to play Samuel L. Jackson. Cashed a check. Yeah, that is Samuel L. Jackson though. Yeah, say, motherfuckers, like a few times and then, you know, bows out. I just found that really distracting and unnecessary as well. Okay. Well, let's talk about how effective it was in terms of the slasher conventions. You mentioned earlier that it had all the hallmarks of a good slasher film or a horror film. Mm. The audience and fans want films that are bigger, better and scarier when it comes to franchises like this. Did it achieve that? Look, as I said before, if you like gore porn, this is the film for you. Completely agree. If yeah. But was it bigger, better and scarier? Uh, no, not at all. No, no, yeah. Horror isn't always particularly effective in driving a cohesive narrative, but at yep. least it can offer some intriguing perspective or take on a societal issue. And I don't mm. think Spiral achieved that. If it was trying to find its place within the horror trope and horror conventions, I just think it didn't didn't get there, especially mm. when you compare it to other installments within the franchise. It had all the run-of-the-mill conventions, didn't it? Which is, I mean, mm. it hit all the right notes in terms of the gore porn, in terms of the cinematography, in terms yes. of you know, murderer, motive, you know, twists and turns and all that kind of thing. I was pleasantly surprised that I didn't see the twist coming. Oh. I thought I had it picked. I didn't. But then you wouldn't have picked it because it was just such a thin thread. Actually, I sounded surprised when you said you didn't see it coming and then I realised neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> but I do remember you whispering in my ear throughout going, it's such and such, such and such. And I thought, oh gosh, probably. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it does have the right hallmarks of mixing a slasher and a psychological thriller, but it just didn't utilise them well enough to be doing something unique and adding to this mm. legacy. Yeah, exactly. Like it was following a tired formula that is the Saw franchise that we've seen countless times and I left going, for what reason did they make mm. another one of these films? That That's kind of like my take out. But you mentioned the cinematography mm. earlier and I think if I was to give kudos to this film in any area, it would have to be its cinematography. I yeah. loved the colour grading of some of the shots that maintained that really gritty LA aesthetic, which mm. I quite enjoyed. How about you? Yeah, and it really doesn't shy away from that excruciating gore as well. It's framed... I mean, for me personally, can't stand it and it makes me squirm, as I said, but it's yeah. what the fans want and it's, yeah, what they should have done. So it's good that it hit all those notes. Mm. The only thing that I guess touching on the editing, obviously there mm. are a lot of those really clunky flashbacks, but there's one, it's a trope and piece of the Saw franchise formula is those really like zoomed up shots while the torture scenes are going on you know they mm. zoom and fast forward and so i just i really really fucking hate that in cinema in general oh, really? and the saw franchise is just riddled with it so i get it why they maintained that aesthetic but um yeah i just really really don't like that 
creative choice. Are we ready to wrap up Spiral from the Book of Saw? I think we are, Lee. So Spiral from the Book of Saw should have remained a chapter unwritten. I understand it is a horror (laughs) film, but the gore never lent itself to the story in any reasonable way and left you feeling physically sick and uncomfortable. That's just my personal take Mm -hmm. out, out of that choice. Chris Rock remains unwatchable as an actor and its association with the iconic horror franchise is insulting and exists only as a cash cow, in my opinion. With a horrendously lazy script making it feel more like a parody, I'm going to rate Spiral from the Book of Saw half a popcorn kernel. Wow, that's really dark. Okay. As I said, to be reinventing a concept and adding to the legacy of a franchise that was that was groundbreaking in what it did for the genre, really. I didn't think Spiral was all that clever in its execution. The plot is hung too tenuously on the franchise and structured in a way that doesn't keep you on the edge of your seat. Will it make you squirm and give you the gory satisfaction that comes with the Saw franchise? Yes. But for me, that wasn't enough. I think fans of the franchise are really going to enjoy this instalment, though, so I'm giving it two popcorn kernels. Spiral from the Book of Saw is in cinemas now and certainly seems to be a film for the fans. Check it out. Now, Tim, we checked out another movie this week called I Blame Society, which is really interesting film, isn't it? Uh, Interesting is one way of putting it. Indeed, it is a satirical take on the post-Me Too movement Hollywood that explores a young filmmaker's relentless determination to get her first feature greenlit by any means necessary. I Blame Society is written and directed by Gillian Wallace Horvat and it also stars Gillian in the lead role. Basically, this movie is just the video diary of Gillian trying to get her first feature film off the ground, isn't it? Her concept for a film about Israel is rejected for being too controversial. So she falls Mm -hmm. back on this old project about how great she would be as a serial killer. Which I love as a concept, as a headline for a film. It's like you want to be this serious filmmaker and then you're not taken seriously and then you kind of fall onto an old project that was probably just like a thought in the bath sipping Savion Blanc and then you just like go with it and then here we have this absolutely wild wacky yeah. dark film that plays out over the you know hour and a half yeah dark is definitely an understatement it's a dark concept set around how to commit the perfect murder basically and how being a director has the same set of skills as being a murderer does which is quite satirical and dark and it starts <laughs> off quite innocently as you said it's a slippery slope as it progressively gets darker, isn't it? Yeah, you, you think as you're watching this film that it can't get any darker. Let's just call out the word that sums this film up is dark. We'll, yeah. we'll probably mention it a few times. But, yeah, it just goes to some pretty, yeah, yeah. Oof, crazy places. But, you know, I have to be honest, like the opening scene in its doco style where she's talking to a friend about committing mm. the perfect murder, I found very dark, very funny. But then I quickly fell off the bandwagon. I was about 15 minutes into this film and I was like, what on earth am I watching? It was just really, really challenging for me. It kind of lost its funniness. I didn't quite understand what she was trying to do. I was very Mm. displaced and distracted and I actually turned it off and I almost wasn't going to continue watching it. And I'm keen to talk to you about this today because although I didn't love the film, like I'm glad that I picked it up again and continued to watch it because it it got much better, I think. It definitely got better as the film went on. It has the feel of a Blair Witch Project meets Frances Ha in terms of its tone, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm going to jump topics here because I think the guerrilla style of filmmaking is interesting 
in terms of creative choice, but mm. I found it to be slow moving and distracting at times, but it was very deliberate. This is the thing. It's, it was a very deliberate creative choice and yes. it's all part of the big picture and her creative vision. And I don't see any other way it could have been as effective for what she was trying to do. So it was the right choice, but for me, it just, pulled me out of it a little bit. It was a bit distracting. Yeah, I found it really distracting and displacing, but I completely agree. In terms of the film she was trying to make, it Mm. was the only way that that she could have done it. And I guess as a viewer, you're kind of like, I really want to see this film, you know, with a camera that sits still for five seconds or isn't a different sort of grade or weird angle or lighting. It was very, yeah, very jarring and distracting. But then you have to sit back and go, yeah, but this film wouldn't exist if it wasn't filmed and Mm. captured in that way. It's all part of the satire of it, of making a film and being an independent filmmaker trying to get your first big film off the ground. Yeah, definitely. One of the moments that I felt that technique and use of camera angles, she was using like a mobile phone to explain. She was using GoPro at some points Mm. and was like – often sitting talking with friends and environments with a fucking GoPro on her head, which is funny in of itself. (laughs) And then she would just, you know, (laughs) she would have like a manual dolly dolly where she would, yeah. Like when those things happened, I thought, yes, I'm back in this movie because it was just so obvious that she was making those choices and they were there to elicit a reaction, not to be a clean uh, film. But one of the best moments in the movie was when she – was in someone's house at night Mm. and all the different angles that she had up, I thought that just played in with the comedy, the satire particularly well. Mm. And I love when she poured herself a glass of wine and was just like walking around the house (laughs) and just like talking to the camera, I'm living my best life. I think it's a moment in the trailer actually. So yeah, Yeah. at times it worked so well, but as as a feature length, it's a bit laborious to sit through that sort of technique. It's the ultimate life imitating art, imitating life, isn't it? Yes, yeah. (laughs) I enjoyed the concept of it being about a woman pushing back on what's expected of her. Like they had that theme running through the undercurrent of it and it takes the idea of the driven creative to the next level, you know, that you need a bit of madness to be great. And it also asks the question, was she mad all along? Yeah. Because like does a creative project drive you to murder Or was she just basically a dormant murderer all along and she just happened to have a camera to follow her serial killer, like, lifestyle that she always wanted to unearth and, you know, unhinge all the relationships in her life around her in order to do that? It was, yeah, quite, yeah. The satire is, it's just dripping in satire. It's just brilliant in that sense. And when you get mockumentary-style films like this, the the scripting and the dialogue can be a little bit static, I guess, a little bit. I found it quite frustrating and annoying in the sorts of conversations Mm. that she would have either with her boyfriend or her best friend. Did you find that as well? I just didn't quite relate to some of the Mm. things she was talking about. I found it quite annoying or unrelatable. But is that trying to build a picture of a, a stereotypical LA creative though? Well, well, when you put it like that, then, then probably, then in that sense, she arguably nailed it. <laughs> It'd be great if you could ask her. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Yeah. Shall we wrap up I Blame Society? I think we should. So I wanted to like this film despite how off it I was at the beginning. Do I see incredible potential in Gillian Wallace Horvat as a filmmaker? Absolutely. But I should have seen that in this film without needing to anticipate or wait for her next movie. 
It went to all the dark and twisted places I tend to enjoy, uh, but it was often a little bit too laborious and an effort to sit through at times. So I'm going to rate I Blame Society to Popcorn Kernels. Interesting. Weird is a good word to describe I Blame Society, but one that I think does it a disservice because Gillian is laser-focused in her creative vision here, even if we don't fully understand it. She has a lot of interesting Mm. things to say about Hollywood, about having an unwavering commitment to your cause and the single-mindedness needed for creatives to achieve greatness. If you can get past the jump cuts and the style of filmmaking, this is a bold, independent film that's worth taking a look at. I'm going to give it three popcorn kernels. And I Blame Society is in cinemas from May 20. All right, Lee, so before we jump into news, we are running another giveaway. Popcorn Podcast has five double passes to see lapses in cinemas from June 3rd. The movie is a sci-fi thriller set in an alternate New York where a delivery man turns to quantum cabling, a strange new corner of the gig economy, to support his ailing brother and faces a choice to either help his fellow workers or get rich and get out. To be in with a chance of winning a double pass to see Lapsus, just head to the Popcorn Podcast Instagram or Facebook page and tag your movie buddy in the comments of the giveaway post. Terms and conditions can be found at popcornpodcast.com. Now, there's been some big news this week, Tim, hasn't there? NBC has refused to air the 2022 Golden Globe ceremony after stars, including Scarlett Johansson, began urging their colleagues to step back from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and that's the organisation that runs the event. Johansson says she has often faced sexist questions from the HFPA while promoting her films. Yeah, this has been like a dormant volcano for quite a while, mm. and it certainly has erupted Uh, this past week. So this backlash is linked to long simmering controversy surrounding the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which exploded with a recent expose revealing there are no black journalists within its 80 members. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's insane. The HFPA is often criticised for its lack of diversity and being an outdated institution. Even Tom Cruise this week returned his three Golden Globes in a move to help push the HFPA to reform the organisation, which they say they're doing and that it will take time. But I think time's up, huh? Time is up. It's almost like a sense of too little, too late. I mean, Mm. it's like what rock have they been under over the last several years where organisations have had to really stand up and step up and change their formula and be way more inclusive and diverse as as this world demands and should exist – And it's kind of like they're finally getting nudged and uh, it's good that they're going to make these changes and it's great to see certain actors speak up Mm. uh, and and share their experiences and make really grand gestures like Tom Cruise has done and Scarlett Johansson. We'll see what happens and what unfolds and whether the Golden Globes will return at all. Yeah, watch this space. So we got the very first trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So currently the plot is unknown for this sequel to the surprise hit Venom from 2018, but the villain Carnage, played by Woody Harrelson, was teased at the end of the first film. What did you think of this trailer, Lee? Oh, it made me laugh a little bit. If you listen to the sound, like to the dialogue underneath it, the the symbiote voice, which is Tom Hardy's voice, it's just hilarious. <laughs> is that is that all you took out of this yeah. trailer? <laughs> I say potato, you say potato. <laughs> Oh, my God. He is certainly a character to remember. But, look, my main takeout from this trailer, 
Mm. It's like, okay, so the plot is unknown, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not certain that there is a plot in this movie based on that trailer. It was <laughs> really? absolute, dare I say, carnage. Yeah. It was just chaos, hot mess. And they kept Woody Harrelson hidden in the trailer too, but it's like you revealed him at the end of the movie. Got his voiceover, but not much else. Yeah, uh, that didn't really make much sense at all to me. That's a very yeah. interesting point. Anyway, Venom, Let There Be Carnage is expected in Aussie cinemas later in September. Now, we got the first trailer for The Green Knight. Now, I was obsessed watching this trailer. I think this Mm. looks absolutely sensational. What's the film about, Lee? It's a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain, King Arthur's nephew, and The Green Knight, who is a giant green-skinned tester of men. The movie stars Deb Patel, Joel Edgerton, and Alicia Vikander. Now, I think this concept is based on a poem, actually. And you know what happened last time a movie was based on a poem? We got cats. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I cannot wait to share this experience with you. Look, with all (laughs) due respect, I feel that this film will hold its own a little bit more than Cats did a couple of years ago. Fuck, that's so funny. Uh, There is no word on an official Australian release for The Green Knight yet, but it is expected later this year. Now, we're big fans of the fantasy genre, aren't we? Huge fans of Lord of the Rings, ETAL. I just, I've gravitated very strongly to this trailer and I'm, I can't wait to see more. Regina King has been tapped to direct Bitter Root, adapted from a Renaissance era comic book series. The action is set during the Harlem Renaissance of 1924 and follows a fractured family of once great monster hunters who face an unimaginable evil descending upon New York City. This sounds cool. This sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. I didn't know we needed a movie like this, but we yep. absolutely do. And directed by Regina King. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. She was the highlight of the Academy Awards. Her strut into the ceremony. She fucking nailed it. I just want to see more of that, to be honest. We got a first look at the poster for Snake Eyes 2, G.I. Joe origin story, starring Henry Golding as the legendary and tenacious loner Snake Eyes. Yeah, not much like a pretty standard poster, but it looks pretty cool. He is an absolute rising star in Hollywood off the back of Crazy Rich Asians and The Gentleman, Guy Ritchie's Mm. film from uh, last year, I think it was. Yeah, I'm keen for this film to see what he can bring to the action genre. And this G.I. Joe origin story is expected in Australian cinemas on July 22, so we don't have to wait long. We don't indeed. That's it for another action-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. Tim, we covered Spiral from the Book of Saw, starring Chris Rock, and I Blame Society, which is in cinemas from May 20. So if you dare, go check out the horror film Spiral. And if you want a little bit of a quirky independent film, check Mm. out I Blame Society and let us know what you think. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.